Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How's it going? Good, good. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely hot day, the wind is blowing. But other than that, it's all good. Well, that sounds that sounds lovely. I just have a big pile of melting snow out my window, so I could use some of that, but um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm actually honest, I can't remember what we agreed to talk about on Tuesday. I think the, the team's connectivity was so bad that day, um, which I think yeah. I finally what the problem was. Uh, it wasn't team's fault. It was my fault. Um, the uh, I, I installed a power line network or power of Ethernet um, connection from the router to where I'm working. But I left the Wi-Fi on. Um, on my laptop as well. So that, that's connected to the mesh network. And where I am in the house, I've got like a, a little dead spot for some reason. And I've had to, and, and, and when you look at the the uh, order of network interfaces on, on the Mac, it shows the Ethernet one as the first one and the Wi-Fi one as the second one. So I thought in my mind, at least, that because the Ethernet one's first, that's what it's using for everything. But it's not doing that. It's using whichever connection. It's obviously just trying to try on the connection that it's flip-flopping between the two. So what happens is I lose because it's trying to get the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi obviously isn't great here, so it, it kind of tries the Wi-Fi, then it fails, then it goes to the Ethernet, then it goes back to – for some reason, it goes back to the Wi-Fi. Anyway, so I turned off the Wi-Fi connection, and all of a sudden, I've had no problems with Teams. <laughs> well, glad you got to the bottom of it anyway. Uh, that's but, funny. I've had telecom out here. I've had I've had running. I wrote a script to do speed tests. Um, and I was like, it, the weird thing is, I actually went and plugged this laptop into the router at the you know right there at the wall, and I had the same problems. So it wasn't like, um, the, you know, at the, you know, I couldn't see that there was there was you know any other problem than a problem with the the actual line. But because I was still trying to connect to the Wi-Fi, I actually didn't take Wi-Fi out of the equation. Which was a troubleshooting thing, and I should have actually just removed as many things as possible, down to the simplest line, and then tested each one, and then worked that way. And the minute I did that, it just like worked. Um, now the interesting thing on that is that now, since it's worked on the Ethernet connection, if I leave Wi-Fi on, it still works because it now definitely uses Ethernet as the main connection. And I don't know how, like, why that is. I don't know if that's that's some intelligence in the operating system, or it's just. Because I turn Wi-Fi on afterwards, it's got that order correct. Mm. Interesting. I think this is actually um, a good conversation related to what we uh, last Thursday talked about um, chatting about, which is um, the ROI of digital, of, of you know, improving digital employee experience. So how many yeah. hours of productivity would you say you lost trying to figure out your 
Wi-Fi oh, issues. <laughs> too much. And I'm having another issue with Vodafone, which we can also talk about. And, and I was actually talking with Robin, and you'll see a LinkedIn post on this in my feed. It's not so much the the technical loss that you find. Like, like obviously, you lose time because your device is not working and and it's going to do it's going to be sluggish you know like for example if i copied a i was trying to copy a word document from dropbox into uh, outlook and because there was no internet connection or an unstable one it would freeze the whole device because it was trying to download the word document to put it into the outlook email so that that not only costs me time while it freezes and it, and then you've got to kill the kill everything to get it back up and and whatever um but there's also the cognitive loss, which is what he brought up today in our conversation. And this is what I've posted on um, on LinkedIn. Because you, you, you're doing something and you're in the flow of doing something and then your computer freezes. And now you have to stop thinking about, because now you, you've got to stop that flow to, to deal with the technical issue. And that could take you down a rabbit hole and you actually forget what you were doing, which will take you, you know, 20 to 25 minutes to get back on track. Uh, and that's if you remember what you wanted to do next, because obviously that was in your heads. You haven't written it down or whatever it is. So, so that cognitive impact is actually quite, quite large. Um, then, you know, you've also got the um, the decision around what have you invested in order to make this environment work for you. So, like, you know, we we've got a mesh network that we bring with us. We've got fiber here. You know, that's all got costs associated with it. Um, but if that thing doesn't work, I'm the only person who can fix it because no one else in the family is technical. So I can spend a whole morning, you know, three, four hours testing things and walking around and whatever it is um, to the point that I, I, you know, I solve it, which I finally did, which was obviously quite, a, you know, quite, and usually it's something small and silly, which solves the problem. Um, but that three or four hours can be quite frustrating because you, you know, while you're trying to solve it, you know, my, my wife's got to be on calls. My kids are trying to watch TV. Everything's on the internet. Uh, everything's been streamed. Um, and of course, I can't just turn the Wi-Fi off and on because I'm trying to test something because they all want to use it. So there's a lot of those sort of cascading things that if you're a corporate environment and you know Wi-Fi is not going to be necessarily turned off and on because there'll be a change control, there'll be notifications and all that sort of stuff. But there's still an impact. Um, and then once it all works again, then it's, it's happy days. And you're like, why did it, why did it take me so long? And I probably lost you know, a good day across a week running around trying to sort things out and putting in, you know, we've got a, a, um, a 4G router as well. So, you know, I've got that as a failover now. So I've spent money on that. So there's the cost of buying equipment for backups um, to solve, you know, to keep everyone going and, and, and also being able to work because the other thing is you've got to work while you're doing all this stuff. So, um, you know, there's many times where I was just working on something to solve the problem. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to get on a call now. Um, so now you're going to stop, you're going to do the call, and then you might have a few calls in a row, work to get done, and then you're like, okay, now I need to look at this thing. Um, but, you know, you've, you've got to now switch back into what you're looking at. So um, it's, it's, never, it's never simple, would be the summary. Definitely. Well, you mentioned it's, these kind of issues are, are less prevalent in a, in a corporate environment, but I do think Yes, you know, in the office, that's sort of one of the um, benefits, particularly from an IT side, is you have control over things. You don't have to worry about um, people's home networking issues. But obviously, a lot of organizations are still working in a remote or hybrid fashion. 
which means that it to, to ex- an extent is IT's job to help um, figure out if something, <laughs> if an issue is being caused um, by the employee's own own network when they're sort of troubleshooting issues like slowness on a device, which could be really common but um, vague complaint too. Hey, look, you, you know the tools we've worked with, and, and there's nothing more difficult than my computer slow. Um, as as a starting point, I mean, you you need to have telemetry. You need to have, um, you know, I I sort of treat it as a Sherlock Holmes kind of case where you've got to have a lot of pieces, um, of information that you can put together to to troubleshoot, and you know, when you don't have those sort of tools, I mean, you know. I've got, you know, old in-laws and parents and stuff, and I'll get the phone call, my computer's slow. And you're like, oh, well, I don't have any telemetry to look at, so I can only ask the obvious questions. You know, how old is the computer? What's, how big is the hard drive? How much RAM you got? Is it a new computer? Is it an old computer? You know, that very, very basic diagnostic questions. But when you got the telemetry, you can, in most cases, just look at a screen that's going to give you a couple early indicators of what the problems are you know and you'll see disk disk space issues or you'll see age of the computer or you know they haven't rebooted the machine in a long time or they've left a whole lot of applications running um you know all those sorts of things which you know for 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 most people that's not normally the problem um but i don't think people realize that there's almost a hygiene that you've got to have as well to using a device, rebooting it off, and cleaning up your, your unused applications, you know, clearing out disk space that you uh, clearing out um, your recycle bin, that sort of stuff. Speaking of which, I've just got a warning that my disk is full. Oh uh, no! <laughs> the worst. <laughs> the worst, which is quite funny because when I bought this laptop, which was supposed to be a personal laptop, not a work laptop, and I guess I'm buying a new laptop when I get back to London. Um, it, uh, I didn't think I would actually. Um, need more than 250 gig hard drive, but uh, I fill it up almost every day with stuff that I'm doing. So clearly, there's something that I need to go and clean up now. I found probably, probably a whole bunch of what? Probably a whole bunch of photos that I've downloaded or, or something mm. like that. Yeah, every now and again, I have to go clear out the old podcast download re- recording downloads because those obviously take up a whole bunch you know, of space. <laughs> Probably actually what's happened is the is uh, I use a tool called uh, Hazel on, on the Mac. And what that's supposed to go and do is it's supposed to go and move all, you know, there's different rules you set up. And it's one of the things it's supposed to do is move the recordings to another folder. And then that folder is in, in Dropbox. And Dropbox is told to keep that folder um, in the cloud only. But sometimes that process of moving the recordings means it downloads all the recordings um, that are there until they get moved. And that, I mean, a recording could be you know, 500 meg, whatever it is. Um, and I didn't realize it the other day, but I'd actually left a quick time recording on my screen going. So I recorded an entire, an entire day of stuff that I did. It was 35 gigs. And I couldn't work out why I'd run out of disk space. Well, that was why I ran out of disk space, because it was one file of 35 gig. Um, and that's just the, you know, the case of the silly user. That is that is pretty funny. <laughs> you should do something with that recording. I don't know what, but... I know, I just deleted it. 
I could I couldn't operate the machine because I was I was ended up doing something. Yeah. And it just the whole machine just said, uh, you know, you're out of disk space. I was like, I can't be. You know, this is this, there was like 100 gigs free earlier. It can't be. Um, and then you can't do anything. And then I had to slowly delete things and and close things off. And you know it, that you know that was a great case of because I didn't have a script to do the cleanup. I had to do it manually. Um, and nurse it basically back to to a running machine, then reboot it, um, and then work on it. Um, but you know that takes away again cognitive load. I was busy in the middle of doing a presentation. I was you know it was yeah. I was in a great flow, and then it all went to to parts, and I had to start again. Um, so yeah, it's unfortunate when those things happen, and the context switching is a real. A really big issue in the digital workspace today, I think. Um, what about other, you know, forms of ROI around um, improving digital employee experience? I think about even things like employee well-being and wellness. What are your thoughts on how those two things interrelate? Well, I, I mean, I think we've we've learned the hard way thanks to the pandemic, that for a long time people were burning out just in the day in the daily lifestyles that we had. You know, and, and I look to my, you know, my UK experience where you're you're commuting into the office five days a week, you know, you're on trains, you're on buses, you're walking, whatever it is, then you still got to go work behind a desk. Um, you know, using screens probably all the time, whether on your phone, your iPad, your laptop, or whatever you're doing. As you as you do whatever you're doing, and not realizing that you're tiring out your eyes, your your body, um, you know, I, you know, you and I stand a lot. Uh, well, not that I think you're standing right now, but I know I, I usually don't first thing in the morning. No, sure, and and you know, my my wife is is still sort of what I call the old style where she sits behind a desk all day, and and I can see when I walk in at five o'clock, she's hunched so far forward, and her head is tilted back. And, she, and then she says her neck is sore. I can tell you why her neck is sore, because you sit in the most awkward position when you work. And you're tired because of all those things, not because of that. Um, and I think that's where the tools should help. I mean, you know, we've talked about Apple Watches and Aura Rings and, and all those things. But, you know, one of the things that we were talking about with one of the companies was actually having the pop-up on the screen to tell you to go and have a break. Um, specifically around all these back-to-back meetings and all that stuff, because, you know, even before the pandemic, um, because you know we could see in the calendars that who was on calls and who wasn't on calls, um, and you could say to someone, you know, you, you need to actually go and have, you know, take a ten-minute break here because you've been back to back to back. Go do some stretching. Go, whatever it is, because it's just not healthy, uh, and, I, and I think that's. I haven't seen. I mean, I haven't been in a corporate environment for a while, but I'm, I'm still hearing having those conversations with people where they they're saying that they need breaks and they need and and um, they need to take a um, a hard look at how many meetings they're in um, and how many things that shouldn't be meetings but could actually be uh, an instant chat message or a or a one pager. Um, that sort of yeah. Thing. There was a um, an image that went viral i saw it on linkedin last week and i don't know what the original source was but it was a calendar like it looked like a meeting calendar invite and then it had the cost of the meeting 
by, you know, whatever the the salary was per person broken out for the time. And then it had like the total cost of having all those people in the room and on a meeting. And that spurred a lot of a lot of discussion around if we had something like that and everyone could see that the true, you know, cost of having all these calls and inviting everyone, it would change our behavior. So I do think there is there are ways that technology could like that. I don't know, the, the technology helping to govern the use of the technology by um, helping people see when there are, you know, sort of issues like like that. Yeah, sorry, I didn't actually answer your question. I just mentioned that piece. Um, and then that is a big thing is, well, I kind of answered, but I didn't bring the, the money into it. But, you know, we're doing quite a lot of work around our return on value calculations using the data we're collecting and seeing. And there are some very scary numbers when you look at some of these things. And, and I'll, I'll go back to my cognitive load example that, that came up. You know, if you if you work out, and every company will have an average hourly cost for an employee in their business which would be the blended value. And then let's use a simple number. Um, let's say it's $50 an hour. And you take into account that um, that freeze issue that I had cost me half an hour. Um, five minutes to sort the problem out, but 25 minutes to get back into the flow. So that's already $25 lost for the day. And, you st- and you're having those recurring. Uh, so, so in a... In a 40-hour week, or $2,000 a week, give or take, and you're taking off for this issue. Let's say it's happening five times in the week. That's two and a half hours, 125. You know that that cost will add up, especially if you have an employee base of a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, you know, two hundred thousand. If they're all having those problems, and that's where the real ROV, return on value ROV comes into it, because you're looking at the, the more people you have, the, the greater number of scenarios you have to find return on value. So we're having a discussion with someone where they were saying, well, we don't really care about the application faults for that application because we can't really justify the value. And, you know, hysterically, I can agree with that because, you know, that, that application fault is not necessarily impacting the user because they don't see it. So I can't remember what the, what the thing was. But what I said to them is that you've got data that has been, that machine has been impacted by this thing crashing one way or another. Because when it crashes, it's got to write the entry to the event log. When it crashes, it might be interacting with something else when it crashes or something else is causing it to crash. So you actually don't know what the, what the problem really is. So you have to go and investigate every crash that you're seeing because it's it's the top, it's the number one list on the on, on the on the list, so there's definitely something going on. You need to go find out what's causing it. Now, let's say, in in it's usually something like this. It's usually a security product that's causing it, some sort of um, deadly protection or um, heuristic product product that's looking for um, malware or something like that that could be conflicting with it. Now, whilst the user may not be impacted, what might be happening? And you know you'd have to look at each machine, but what you might see happen is the antivirus or the the anti uh, um, I can't remember the name of the products in, in what they call them, but that product might use more resource, like a CPU resource, because it's trying to address or or detect what the problem is, which is causing that crash. So you actually are impacting your user. Now, if you took a ten percent 
value, which is kind of what what what, what commonly works out. So go back to our two thousand uh, dollar a week cost, and you found a ten percent improvement for your user base. Um, that's two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars for ten thousand users is uh, I want to say two million, but that's a huge number. Now, if you don't do anything about it, that's two hundred dollars for that that ten percent. Now, if that problem, that application fault, is resolved, you might get back not necessarily two hundred dollars. You might get back five dollars or ten dollars. But then you go to the next one of this, the next one of this, the next one of this. Now you got to prioritize these things somehow. Now, now the quantity might be the way that you, you prioritize it, but you might also prioritize it based on what kind of application it is. So if the application that's faulting is Teams, for example, you'd give that all the attention in the world because that's probably the most used tool in the business right now, even even probably higher than Outlook. And if it's not Teams, it'll be something else like that. It'll be Zoom, it'll be WebEx or whatever it is. So those have to work. And then, then you'll see, then the value is easy to articulate because you can say, well, if you can't use Teams and we don't have a backup, that's the entire business that can't do collaboration. But then it's that, that $2,000 becomes not a loss of 200, but a loss of 2,000 times mm-hmm. by, you know, whatever the number of employees is. So I think those return on value conversations. And, and then it doesn't matter about the technicality, though. It's a commercial thing to say, well, we need to invest X amount of resource to investigate these problems, to bring stability to the environment. And that return on value is easy to justify because you, you and you should be looking at a prioritized list of, of applications. Um, the other thing to be aware of um, or concerned about is the compliance piece of that. Is there software device that should be there or shouldn't? And if there's stuff that, that shouldn't be there, you need to get rid of that stuff. Uh, not only will you save money and get some money back from the licenses you should be getting back if you're removing software you're not using, but also any software that you have and go back to the, the application fault that no one's seeing. If that piece of software is sitting there and it's got a vulnerability and you haven't removed it, You've opened yourself up to an attack vector, which is probably not even a known attack vector because no one's using the software, so you don't know to keep it up to date. It's kind of lost in the minutiae of, of aggregation. But also, when you start looking at compliance and saying, well, we'll only run this version of Chrome or this version of Edge or this version or whatever it is, anything below that needs to be upgraded or replaced. You start patching the environment correctly, you start getting to a desired state, which is actually the objective. And the, and the desired state should provide the best platform for the end user to do their job, but also in a secure way, in a performant way, in a stable way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times it comes back to not having that that insight, of course, as we know, if you don't have the, the data to find those things or to, um, you know, discover what um, application versions are in your environment at scale, then, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but. Well, well data is, but you need, but, but that data has to be turned into information and that information yeah. has to be, you have to know what to do with that information. So, you know, I have a few conversations with a few people and, and they're like, well, that's great. We've got this telemetry data. We've got all this other data, but we just don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And, there's mechanisms and frameworks on, on what to do and how to approach it. And some of it, it's, none of it's rocket science. It's, you know, this is this is actually pretty straightforward, sensible approaches to things. But it does require a level of asking some questions and and understanding the environment and understanding what's important and you know tying back to objectives and um, 
you know how the what the business sees as, as priorities as important, and then mapping that to to common uh, I don't want to say common use cases, but you know there's there's definitely plenty of of things you could be doing, which should be consistent across every company. I mean, just clean up is, is probably the most obvious one. Um, the second most obvious one is restarting machines on a regular basis. Uh, you know, every sort of two to four weeks. There's definitely benefit in doing that, and then you get into application specific stuff. You know. How do you how do you manage Outlook on the desktop? How do you manage your core line of business applications, uh, browsers? You know how do you manage browsers and keep them um, in a good state? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think some of that is where um, intelligence also comes in in terms of how how software can be helpful. But um, it's definitely also just going for those, as you say, well known, high value places to start digging in and, and i think there's a level of the the end user you know the end user on average is more sophisticated now the more mm-hmm. technologies so they have to be part of that that solution so you can have the the scenario which is what the problem is you know running out of disk space that's the problem but then you can have those recommendations which are you know the, run the automation that clears out all the things move the applications that are un, unused whatever it is, but the user needs to be part of that because you can go remove an application they're not using. Uh, and this goes back to behavior economics. If they are using Microsoft Project, for example, and they've used it once, and then you know you use your data and you say, well, you haven't used this product in three months, can we take it away from you? Behavior economics will be, well, I actually want it there because I might use it again because I've used it once. And they need to understand that, well, by keeping this product, here are the ramifications. One, the product will take up space. Two, it's now an attack vector because we have to keep it up to date. If we don't keep it up to date, then if there's any any vulnerabilities, it'll be a, it'll be a doorway to to, to chaos. Um, also, there's a cost associated to this. So when we do our true up with Microsoft, they're going to charge us for the license for you having Microsoft, and, and that could be you know it could be nothing in the sense of monetary value. But again, coming back to the five thousand, ten thousand. 100,000 user base, if everyone's got project installed, yeah, let's say it's 10 bucks a user per month, that becomes a really big number really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where, you know, trying to, trying to bridge the gap between what is actually a technical problem or technology problem, which it actually really isn't, to a commercial business problem, which is what it really is, uh, and a risk problem is, is, uh, is fun. Yeah, <laughs> sounds super fun. But no, it's it's interesting stuff. Um, unfortunately, I do need to, to run, but great chatting as always. Always, yes. Cool. We'll chat later. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.